Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Daniel chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one, like the similitude of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have restrained no strength. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk with this, my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, Yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I am come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I, stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee the truth. If you would throw your ribbon in here, and we'll give introduction then to the book of Ephesians to a simple passage. I think that will sum up what the message is about in Ephesians chapter 6. If you turn there, we, we enter into Paul's writings of something that is very familiar here. And so he talks about putting on the armor. If we jump in in chapter 6 and verse 11, he says, well, actually back up to 10. He says, finally, my brothers, 
after the letter that he has written, he's coming into conclusion. And he says, finally, least of all, but most of all, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says to put on the whole armor and not just your normal armor, but this is a divine armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the tricks, the schemes, the very subtle tactics of the devil, the one who was in the field, the beast that was more subtle than than any other beast. And so you have that in your mind, the subtlety and the trickery and the schemes and the word wiles. He says, I need you to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he goes on to say something that is interesting, and we already, I think, are familiar with it, at least most of us. But when we look at it from a faraway stand... You know, it appears if you were to leave this planet and go off into space into a distant, and you and you were to make your approach, and I've seen pictures from the space shuttle from when they were orbiting around the planet, and some of the feelings that the astronauts get as they have left the planet, they say that it is almost a divine experience where you get to look upon the Earth. Knowing what's on the Earth, though, they are far away in the silence of the space shuttle, but they're looking down upon the planet, knowing all the things that take place. They're still receiving news feeds and different things. And so it appears that this third planet from the sun uh, has what we know of as life form. It has life form on this third planet, what we call human beings. And these human beings can't live peaceably. So you leave the planet and it's, it's just this peace. It's silence. And they float. There's no gravity. And so there's just this sensational feeling of, of a peace, they say, anyway, that do this. And, but you look down at the planet and you think, yeah, the life form that lives on that particular third planet from the sun, they can't get along. They just can't get along. There's constant warring. But what we are learning in this particular passage is, is they are very much instigated. It's not just that human beings can't just get along. There is an instigator. There is a vast instigation And upon the earth, there are many kingdoms, there are many nations, but even within the political parties, they can't get along. They they just can't get along. They vehemently disagree. We see that in our public discourse more so now probably than ever, I assume. But they just can't get along. They vehemently disagree. So in their brilliance of education and the mastery of political science, there's a very much a dearth of intelligence regarding two key kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So as we watch the pomp and splendor of the U.S. Congress uh, giving hearings, respectfully so, these are our leaders and they are smart men and they do have uh, letters after their name. They are absolutely ignorant of two major kingdoms of the planet, the kingdom of light the kingdom of darkness. And so what the apostle now is giving instruction to us, and he is saying, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not just human beings versus human beings. It's not just life form just versus life form. But there's this great instigator. We don't wrestle against just flesh and blood. He says, now look. He said, but against principalities and against powers. 
against the rulers. Now, you have to look at this afresh because I think really it's just been taught to the point of nauseam. Um, so when you're looking at this, you have to look at it carefully. He says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So in that phrase, he doesn't just say against rulers of darkness, but he actually says, we war against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so when we go back to Daniel and we're making our conclusion, which we've learned through the whole book, the transfer of power, the transfer of dominion, and how human beings volley back and forth and war back and forth for the actual power, for the dominion. What Daniel, when we go through the closing chapters of 10, 11, and 12, we learned last week and as we turn back to Daniel chapter 10, he gives us an official document of unredacted, classified intel. That's what he's giving us in this chapter. We learned last week that in the very verse 1 of chapter 10, he gives us, it says, the date in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. This is not just any writings. This is an official document from the king, from the king of Persia. It has the seal upon it. It has the insignia within it. It is a national document. It was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, his Babylonian title, also someone prominent in the government. The thing was true, but the time was appointed long, and he understood the thing and the understanding of the vision. And then he goes on. Daniel gets this great vision that he explains in this document. He sees the king, Jesus Christ, in his glorified state, in a state that clearly makes him almost, it makes him nauseous. It says that his comeliness left him, that he looked as though he had a terrible flu just from the, the sight of Jesus Christ. Now that's much different than what we see on all the paintings of Jesus with his long, luscious brown hair and, and blue eyes and perfect high cheekbones. And, you know, he just looks so handsome. It, Jesus Christ does not look like that anymore. This particular passage says he has eyes that are like torch flames of fire and hair of wool. He is the glorified Jesus, not the one that was crucified, the one that will return in power and glory. And at the sight of this, Daniel becomes nauseous. He goes, he's so afraid and so intimidated. He says, I, 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 I lost my breath. So we would jump in then in our passage. He receives help from this. He has this dreadful vision of the king. And then an angel comes and helps him look at it in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees, set him up upon his knees and upon the palms of my hands. This angel, more than likely, is named earlier in the book, is probably Gabriel. Uh, we're not 100% sure, but it looks like it may be. Verse 11, he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. I like to joke around a lot. <laughs> I like to have fun and just chop it up. Probably to my peril at times because I stick my foot deep in my mouth down to my throat and it's just terrible. But I like joking around and having fun. I think church ought to be fun. I think we ought to enjoy each other's company and be able to take a joke. <laughs> but sometimes when I'm dealing with these things, especially when you deal with the devil, it's, it just gives me a, a weird feeling. You probably get that too, especially if you actually serve the Lord. Sometimes you just get these vibes. 
and I don't want to be overly mystical, but sometimes you just get these vibes, especially when you have a context that deals with the devil. Daniel is having his faith become sight, and now it says, I stood trembling. Then what happens is, is it's like, you know, you, you ever want to be a fly on the wall in a meeting that is so important where you just understand that what the behind the scenes are? Uh, you know, I mean, I watch the political arena, and I think I would like to be in those closed-door meetings. And we're about to enter into a closed-door meeting. We're going to receive unredacted intel of what's happening that we don't see. So look what he says. He says, I stood there trembling. The angel sets me kind of on my hands and feet, tries to get me to stand up. He goes, let me, let me help you. And he stood there and he says, and then finally, in verse 12, he says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, don't be afraid, Daniel. Look, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand. Now we recognize in previous sermons that Daniel was in mourning for three weeks straight. He didn't eat much at all, just enough to keep the old boy alive because he's pushing 90 years old. He's fasting. He's in, he's in great grief. He, he is absolutely just terrible situation. And so he's been praying and fasting earnestly. And what happens is, is now this angel comes to him and he says, look, he says, from the first day, three weeks ago, Go, that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. Immediately God heard his prayer as it, soon as it came off of his tongue, the Father in heaven heard it. He says, so as soon as you did this, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. But, now look, he tells Daniel something that is just shocking. He says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. He said, I was immediately dispatched from the king as an angel to come help you as soon as you asked for help. But I am 21 days late because I have been wrestling with a wicked angel, what they call the prince of Persia. There has been spiritual warfare that was between two angels. One angel tried to stop him from getting from the throne where he got his orders all the way down to where Daniel was to explain it to him. For 21 days, these two angels are wrestling and fighting. He goes, be of good cheer, don't be afraid. As soon as you asked for help, I was dispatched. But so that you know, there was a delay because I, am, I, I had opposition. He says, 20 in one days. But then what happens was, how did he get free? It says, lo, Michael. Michael, we know, is the archangel under Lucifer. Lucifer is the top angel of power, glory, beauty, and splendor. Beneath him, second in rank, was Michael the archangel. Gabriel, I think, was the one who was sent, and he cannot get by the power of these angels, what they call here the prince of Persia. Until finally the archangel, another one, comes to assist him after 21 days of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, what we see here so that we can understand and, and learn some biblical understanding here, what we're seeing in the book of Daniel right around now is a series of princes. And it's difficult to understand who are these princes, or even what are these princes? Are they humans? Are they angels? Who, who are these angels? Now, remember what Paul says in Ephesians. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. 
Here what we see is these series of princes. If you were to look back in 9.25, we have the same thing. He begins it. Look at 9.25. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, the Messiah, the prince. Now we know who this prince is because it clearly tells us. It's Messiah the prince. Also, we all another title for Jesus Christ is what? The prince of peace. And here he's called the Messiah the prince. And then if you just were to scoot down to verse 26, he says that there is another prince. It says in the middle of verse 26, and the people of the prince that shall come to destroy the city. A different prince. We learned already in previous sermons, that prince is the Antichrist. It's the beast. He's coming to destroy. Also called a prince. Then when we come down to ours, in verse 13 of chapter 10, the angel says, well, there's a prince of the kingdom of Persia. An angel. He's the prince of Persia. Why is he called the prince of Persia? And then 21 days, Michael, one of the chief princes, we clearly know Michael's an angel. He's being called a prince. So it helps us to understand, but it is somewhat difficult to figure, isn't it? It's supposed to be that way. Because they're so closely linked between the human and the angelic, the principality and the powers, that the lines begin to be blurred. He says, Lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. There's a spiritual warfare going on that lasted for 21 days. They were tempting and teasing and leading the kings of Persia. These wicked angels are tempting them. We, we, we've all learned that the devil is the tempter. He tempts us. He whispers to us. He tells us things. Go ahead and eat the fruit. Uh, did the Lord really say in the, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die? He didn't actually mean what he said. Go ahead and eat the fruit. The tempting that is happening to these kings of Persia to cause them to behave in the worst possible ways. So he says in 14 then, Now I am come, finally after 21 days, I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. He says, you know, this is going to take a long time, but he's going to tell them what's going to happen in the end of the world. This is how it's going to go down. So he gives more details in the oncoming verses about the vision and how he was dumb and he couldn't see anything. And finally in verse 20, and we pick up where we left off last week, he said, Do you know why I am come to you? Knowest thou wherefore I am come unto thee? Daniel, do you, do you know? And look at it, he says, And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. There's just constant combat. He's saying, I went 21 days to get to you, and physical combat. I'm going to tell you something, and then I'm going to return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. So now we just, in our mind, we're just thinking previous sermons of the history of Daniel. The Babylonian Empire, and law of the Medes and the Persians, the Persian Empire, and then what would be the next empire? Of course, we know 8th grade history is Greece, 
And so we're, we're heading to the transition. And what he is telling them is there is a spiritual warfare that is going on with the angels and the kings of Babylon and then of the Medes and the Persians and then of Grisha. He's saying, so I'm going to go fight with the king of Persia, the one who's tempting him. And then after that, we're going to have another king rise up and we're going to have another angel that is dealing with him and there's going to be warfare with that king, the king of Grisha. And it's just, he's saying, I'm just letting you know what I'm doing is basically all he's saying. He's being gracious to Daniel the prophet. This is what's going on. You don't see any of it. But it's going on. And it's rough. But I will show thee that which is noted in the Scripture of truth. And there is, look at, then he says, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. If you notice in that sentence, Gabriel is saying there's a kind of a sense of desperation. There's nobody else with me. Just so you know, it took 21 days to fight these angels because I'm all by myself. It's an all hands on deck. Except for this Michael, the archangel, the big one, the most, he was dispatched to help me. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have a chance. What's interesting in this last verse of chapter 10 is he actually says to Daniel, he says, Michael, your prince. And he has the princes of Persia and the prince of Grecia. What does that tell us? There's angels, princes, that are actually assigned to people. Now, we have that little thing, you know, that you hang up on your, uh, on your visor that says, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. <laughs> In some ways, that is some truth. I don't believe that everybody has a guardian angel. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. The Bible doesn't say, but in this particular case, I think this is where they get some of that from, that these angels actually literally are assigned to certain people. But we also have to know that the devil and the demons in the book of Daniel were were learning that these angels are dealing with the nations. They're with political leaders. We are like, you know, somebody said something about, you know, they were uh, being, they were schmoozing me. I believe they said something about how I was important, you know. And I said, have you seen our church? (laughs) Have you seen the people of our church? We're, We're like a dot on a dot you know and we actually don't even and he said no that's not the case but these people here because michael the archangel is assigned to daniel because daniel is of prominent place in the kingdom he is second in command under cyrus the king this is the vice president daniel is of the reigning world power That is why he is assigned one of the most powerful angels ever. And so when we're watching these things play out in our living rooms of the government, the United States government now, which is the leading global power of the world, who do you think is assigned to certain people? The very same people that we're seeing here in Daniel. And so when you see the chaos that takes place, and you wonder, what in the the world was he thinking when he said that? Because someone's being whispered to. So when we go on, he says, I'm going to show you something. And now, with the next whole chapter 11, and i got to scurry through it because I don't want to keep you too long. But the whole chapter here, he just basically tells him some of the future. This is what's going to happen in your capacity. This is what's going to happen during your tenure. 
And look at the detail that he does. And I don't want to spend too much time. We'll just breeze right through. But if you look at verse 2 of chapter 11, he says, Now I will show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. He was very, very rich. That's all that he's saying. He's a multi-billionaire. Isn't that just exactly what we're seeing now? I want to be president of the United States. Well, what gives you the right to be president of the United States? Well, I'm a billionaire. And there's nothing new under the sun. That's what the Bible says. First three look at it. He says, you know, there's a mighty king shall stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. The next one, he's the realm of Grecia. Alexander the Great. So he tells him in advance, there's going to be another king. His name is Alexander the Great. He's going to be a powerful king. But don't worry about it, because after some time, the kingdom of Greek will be divided into four. You know, so he's just telling him, look in verse 4. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven. Isn't that exciting news? He's just telling him what's going to happen. Political details. He says there's going to be treaties signed and there'll be treaties broken. Verse 6. Actually, if you look all the way down to verse 20, he says uh, one of the guys is a, has this crazy idea to raise taxes through the gazoo. Well, I'll vote for him. <laughs> but that's what happens. Look, 20. They shall stand up in his estate and be a raiser of taxes. So he tells Daniel there's going to be significant. And then you're going to have acts of diplomacy, verse 24. What's the significance of all this? He's just telling them. There's angels and demons, and there's warfare. This is the secret intel, the unredacted intel report of what's going to happen. And here's the kings that will rise, and here's the kings that will fall. There will be treaties, but they will break them. They will rise, t raise taxes, but they will fall. And all this will take place. And all of it looks like it just—it looks like it's history, but it's not. It's prophecy because he's telling him of this until finally we get to verse 36, and something flips. If you look in the verse 36, most conservative scholars will say, we just jumped several thousand years in time. Because in verse 36, we jump over to what we know of as the politician, the one, the one who will be the great covenant breaker, the one who will change times. This is now then beginning to talk about someone who we will recognize just by reading the verse. He says, and the king shall do according to his will. Look at it. He shall exalt himself. He shall magnify himself above every God and shall speak marvelous things. We immediately know just from the context of judging scripture to scripture that we're now talking of the Antichrist, the one who will speak marvelous things. He will win by being charming, by being so rich. He will speak against the gods, against the God of gods, not just all the gods, but one in particular, the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. That's how we know he's talking about this particular will prosper till the very, very end. That's why they think, well, we just switched gears here. We're no longer in 537 B.C. And he gives you clues about this coming political person that we ought to be on the lookout for. Verse 37, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now, with this particular verse, we have three to pick from that I have found through historical writings. Well, there's three that you have. He says, because he will not regard the God of his fathers. 
early on through many, many, many centuries who did the interpretation of this, they thought that this was talking of Rome, the Catholic Church. Because it's somebody who at one time believed in the true God. And so since the history of the papacy, through the years, we know them just, just through history. Now, they're not like that so much anymore, obviously. But through the years, there's been tons and tons of bloodshed to Christians by way of the papacy. And so somebody would have looked at that centuries ago and said, Ah, he's talking of the Pope. You don't regard the God of his fathers, anti-Christian, nor the desire of women, because they're not allowed to marry. That could be your stand, but I don't see that anymore. And if you, if you actually, the, the second choice then would say, Well, the God of his fathers, that looks like then a Jew. The God of his fathers, the true God. Who else has generation after generation after generation that could say the God of my fathers, Yahweh God? Who else could say that except for the Jew? So then there's many people who believe that the coming Antichrist then will be Jewish. Except for the other one little thing is is that we have to realize, because we are so ignorant in history, up until probably the 7th century, there was no such thing as Islam. Who would the Arabs call through all that time? They would also say the God of his fathers. Father Abraham is where the Arabs come from, from where the Muslims come from. So the third one, and the one that I would lean toward more so, is that the coming Antichrist actually probably will be a Muslim. One that is homosexual, because he has no desire for women. It says in verse 38 something awfully interesting, but in his estate, even though he exalts himself as God, he says, but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. Now that, the word forces in the, in the Hebrew is a tough one to decipher, but if you just look at it in the, in the English and what they've come up with, it's the God of powers. So you have two choices, some say. It's the God that is of the powers that be. And actually the etymology of the word does show something of the word fortresses. So the God of power, the God of force, the forces, the powers, the walls, the fortresses, the citadels. The other thing is, is the God of forces, it's nature. He does regard Mother Nature, the Green New Deal. You, if you're going to be on one side of the aisle and you want to be one who is diplomatic and rule the world, you have to have everyone who is crazy left leaning on your side. So we will honor the God of nature. And we'll also wear uh, rainbow-colored bracelets around our wrists and be for the LGBTQ movement and have no desire for that. And we know that this is going toward the end if we just continue on. And again, I'm hurrying because in the verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, At that time shall Michael, the archangel, shall stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, the Jew. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. There's always been wars, rumors of wars, but in this particular time, he's saying this war and this trouble, this turmoil is beyond ever whatever should happen. And so much so that the archangel Michael, it says, stands up. Now, when I was a young kid, I didn't know anything about that standing up thing, you know. So <laughs> I was a young whippersnapper thinking that I was something. And so some guy got mouthy. And so I stood up and 
I didn't realize that when you stand up to men that that means something. So I stood up, and then he stood up, and I was like, oh, crud, this is not, this is not good. And it proceeded to be very bad for the next about 10 minutes. And, and then I sat back down. But what happens is, is he, 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 this time, what he's saying is, is the angel, the archangel, will stand up. Now, it says, at that time. So, Jesus spoke of this time on the Olivet Discourse. He said, there'll be wars, rumors of wars, but it won't be like this. There'll be kingdom against kingdom, at worse than ever has ever been. And so, if we just turn the page, we find, what is the time Verse 11, it says, And from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate shall be set up. And he tells us there shall be 3,290 days. About three and a half years. This is mid-trib. This is what Jesus said. He says there will be trouble. And Jesus said... When you understand Daniel, when you read Daniel, when you see the abomination of desolations, understand. Let him that read understand. And so it's very complicated stuff. And so I can see some of you are already like, oh my gosh, I can't wait until he's done. Please be done. Land the plane. It's okay. The sacrifice will be broken. The covenant will be broken. And it even says, you know, a time, times and a half, three and a half years. But my question then through all of this, what's triggers? Michael to stand up. Why? Why would a political ruler, the Antichrist, whose full goal is to have full dominion over the whole planet, for thousands of years the devil, the demons, are longing for rule over the entire planet. They finally achieve what they get. I mean, they, they have finally achieved that all the whole human race, it says, bows down and worships the dragon. Nobody can buy or sell unless they have the mark, the insignia, from the devil himself. It's full rule, full reign. He rules the entire world with his charisma and his charm, and he just rules with a rod of iron. Exactly what he's been trying to achieve since the garden. Now he finally gets it. He has three and a half years, and then all of a sudden he breaks the covenant? Why would you do that? You have what you want. Why? We're told in Revelation 12. Revelation 12, we'll read just a little bit for context. In verse 1, there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now that's complicated unless you know the dream of Joseph. Who is he talking about there but the nation of Israel? Scripture for Scripture. Verse 2, And she, the nation of Israel, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as he was born. We understand what that is. Lucifer falls. He takes a whole third of the angelic realm with him, casts them to the earth with his tail. Now we have a whole third of the original thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 of all the angelic 
beings. A third of them follow him in the fall, calls them stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. The dragon then is starting, he's standing there waiting, waiting at Christmas time as Mary is ready to give birth and he stands there waiting. Herod actually tells him where she will be born. Oh, the prophet said in Bethlehem, Judah, and Herod says, kill every child that is born from four years on or younger. Of course, by providence, the Christ child was not killed yet. Yet. Verse 5, And she brought forth a man-child, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. This same child was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child then, look, was caught up unto God to his throne. That's the ascension. He was crucified, rose three days later, and then was caught up to his throne, and he sat back down. Now, again, this is why I was very hard about Paul in the previous sermons. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because what happens here is the exact same prophetical pattern. Look at it. He says, he was caught up unto God and to his throne. Verse 6 and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God. There's been centuries in between verses 5 and verse 6. We go from the ascension of Jesus Christ, totally skip the church age, and we come back in right into the next verse, three and a half years into the tribulation when the covenant is broken. Rightly dividing the word of truth. At that time, when the covenant is broken, when the Antichrist does this, it says, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, I hope your flight isn't in wintertime. And woe unto them that give suck in those days. When you're running for your life, trying to hide, they will cry out for the rocks to fall on them, to, to shelter them from the wrath that is to come. It is the worst time in history beyond anything which we can ever even imagine. So this woman, Israel, then flees into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her, look at it, a thousand two hundred and three score days, just about three and a half years. But my question still stands, doesn't it? Well, what was the deal for? You got what you wanted. Why would you do this? And then we get the answer. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. What was the trigger? God says, It's time. And the archangel Michael stands up and wars in heaven and all the third of the angelic devils and demons are, and, and Lucifer himself in the war. They prevail not and good begins to win and they are cast down to the earth. Having so did that, all hell breaks loose on the planet because all the devils and demons that have resided going to and fro throughout the whole earth, through the heavens, through the, the starry, the planets and all this the space, now all of these demons and devils have condensed because they've just lost the war in heaven and have been cast down to the earth. Therefore, to cause hell to break loose, forget about the covenants, forget about the peace, take them out. 
They realize their days are numbered. Teach me the number my days, for their days too are numbered, and victory is ours. And so that's a last-ditch effort by the devil and his demons to keep the promised land. But Joshua was told, when you go into the promised land, you wipe out man, beast, child, and everything that breeds. Wipe them out totally. And that's what will happen in the book of Revelation. The seals and the judgments and the bowls, everything is poured out to wipe out these people because all hell breaks loose. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So when we finally make our conclusion then in Daniel 12... Why does Daniel stand up at this particular time? Because it's time. We need to begin to say that. It is time. Stop fooling around. Stop dealing with all the things that, that, that don't mean anything. We have stuff in our house and stuff in our life and stuff all around that means has absolutely no eternal value at all. And what the Bible is telling us is it is Time. At that time shall Michael stand up with the great, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, because our king comes back. Verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The resurrection of the dead. The king comes back, and all of us that served from Adam on down are resurrected from the dead, and we'll get our new bodies because we're entering into the millennium. The kingdom, the dominion is ours. And we're not going to do it as ghosts. We're going to do it as our, in our own bodies, but, we'll, but glorified bodies. That's why they bury everybody over across the street face up, ready for the trumpet call. He then gives a couple little details. Just It's, it's like an addendum, you know. He's the preacher. He's like, you know, he can't stop. <laughs> he just talks a little bit more. This is it. This is the end. This is what will happen. Verse 4, he says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. I don't want a lot of people to know. Seal the book even to the time of the end. What he says there basically is, I don't want anybody to understand it really or to preach it or teach it or anything until the end. Isn't that just like Jesus? Jesus does an awesome miracle. And what does he say? Don't tell anyone. The secret is to be revealed when it's ready. The last time... It says, the end time, many shall run. Now look in verse 4. Many shall run to and fro. Now, that don't sound very interesting, does it? It does if you're thinking of the timeline. Remember a couple sermons ago, maybe 25 sermons ago on Daniel, that I said that I was reading a book by a preacher who was born in 1865 and he died in 1956. That's crazy. The guy saw everything. Like I said, from the Civil War to Elvis Presley. Back up any time before that, though. 
How did people get around from, say, 1865 and Old to from creation? How did, how did they get around? How did they get to and fro? You had two options. You either walked, or you rode an animal, or you had a chariot that was pulled by an animal. That was it. For thousands and thousands, for millennia, the only way that you got to and fro is by walking or animal. He's not talking about just walking, because we're talking about the end time, and he's saying many shall go to and fro. You know how shocked they would be to find out that this Tuesday the preacher has tickets to get into a multi-ton piece of steel that is going to rev up something, I don't know what, makes a bunch of noise, and then it just starts going and going, and all of a sudden it looks like a bird. I don't know what it is. It looks like a bird. But then all of a sudden from this noise, and all of a sudden it starts going faster and faster and faster, and they're just a marvel at this fact that this steel thing has people inside, and it's going faster, and all of a sudden it actually gets off into the air. A hunk of piece of steel actually gets into the air. And then astonishingly, even more so, it flies 500 miles per hour. And it can get you to the beach within a, like a couple hours. <laughs> and you would say, praise the Lord for that. That's what he means. Many shall run to and fro. There'll be travel not like we know it. It ain't going to be just riding on a horse. We'll be able to get to the other side of the world within 17 hours. Literally, the other side of the world, 17 hours or less. A lot less, perhaps, because of the next verse. He says, In the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Again, up until about 1865, if you wanted to do anything at night, what did you have to do? You had to light a fire. And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, if you wanted to turn on the lights in your house, it was a candle or a fire. All within a hundred years or so, we went from riding on an animal to turning the lights on with a fire to now being like, I can't see where I'm going. Well, why don't you turn your light on on your phone? And if you talk to Bill Gates, which he has said recently, not that recently, but just recently, he said, as far as the computer age goes, we are in the era of the Model T for the artificial intelligence and the communications and the networks and all of the technology, all of the brilliance will snowball. Incredible. Thomas Edison was thought it was amazing to have a wind-up phone and ha hear somebody a mile away. This is just happening really within just the last couple generations of the planet. When does this happen? At the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So don't be surprised if somebody stands up and the whole thing starts to shake. Because I've told you before, if you want to drain the swamp, watch out what you find in it. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with pastor-teacher Jeff Toring. 
Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.